Welcome to Biz Talk with Jim Labato, a full hour of insight, discussion, and opinion on you, your career, and your business. We tackle your frustrations, your hopes, and even get to some of your dreams. The office is now open. Here's your Biz Talk host, Jim Labato, on News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome to Biz Talk. I'm your host, Jim Labato. When I'm not hosting Biz Talk, I'm leading a company called the Performance Group. The Performance Group is a sales development company. And by a sales development company, I mean we work with presidents of companies that want their sales force to become more sales-driven or growth-oriented. And we help you achieve that through identifying your selling strengths and eliminating your obstacles. We listen to what your objectives are, challenge some of your assumptions, and create a framework by which we'll clarify your opportunities. So that's what we do at the Performance Group. But tonight, we're on BizTalk, and what we're going to talk about is one of the positions in Performance Group, which is uh, the sales manager. I I actually occupy that role and have for a number of years in my previous careers. But what about the sales manager that's in your company? So I have a lot of experience in this area, and I had a great conversation the other day, and I'll define what great means. It was a great conversation with my friend Chris Lytle, who is coming out with a book called The Accidental Sales Manager. He wrote the book The Accidental Salesperson, and this is the follow-up to that. So what made it a great conversation is Chris challenged me to think about what it takes to be a sales manager today and grow revenues in today's economy. And so tonight, we're going to talk about that. And I'm basically going to recap the conversation I had with Chris, some of the questions he asked me to tap into my knowledge and experience from playing that role for well over 20 years. And it's interesting because most sales managers become the manager because they were the top sales producer. And there's a difference between being a top sales producer, whose job is to go out and generate the revenue, and being a top sales manager whose job it is to go out and drive the revenue. So we're going to talk about the transformation between going from becoming a top producing salesperson, where most sales managers became, you know, started their career, to being a top producing sales manager. So that's on the docket tonight. If that's of interest, you'll want to stay tuned. Also, before we get started, some housekeeping chores. If you go out to the website which is biztalkradioshow.com, that's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com, you're going to find some resources that can help you grow revenues. The first one is, and you can see it on the right hand of the home page, is Nine Steps to Growing Your Sales Force and Helping Them Overachieve. It's a free download. Uh, We'll actually mail you a copy of this, and it can also be downloaded. The question is, you know, how do you get your sales department to exceed your expectations? We're, we're asked that every day, especially the season we're in right now, which is when most people are taking the account of what they've done this year and start to think about what they want to accomplish in 2011. So what is it? And we've been able to document nine steps to getting your sales force to overachieve. So you can go out to the website and you can download that. It's a... Um, Simple sheet you can get. It's two-sided. It's a quick read, and uh, I think you'll find it interesting. You can also go out to um, the biztalkradioshow.com website 
and you can click on the five hidden sales weaknesses. Now, that's a pamphlet that we will mail you. It's about 30 pages long. And in it, you're going to find out real-world examples of how the five hidden sales weaknesses affect sales performance, the three myths of top talent, why hitting, you know, the top producer, I mean hitting the marketplace, finding that top producer, is based on success traits, you know, can be misleading. The sales winners and the sales losers have all the same success traits. It's not so much about what those success traits are, but what are the five hidden weaknesses that prevent them from executing on those success traits and why some of your salespeople are compelled to give away margins. So that's a booklet we have out there. If you actually fill out the information, we will mail that to you. So that's on the homepage at biztalkradioshow.com. We also have a couple blogs, and one of them is Sales Quick Coach. If you're not tuned into this, you'll definitely want to get on the mailing list. We send an email out every Monday that gives you real-world sales situations to today's toughest selling challenges. It's quick, it's relevant, it's actionable ideas about improving your results. That's Sales Quick Coach, which is two-minute timeouts to improving your performance. So go out to the website. We upload one of those selling situations each month. If you want to receive them on a weekly basis, just sign up for those. So those are some of the resources. If you're involved in generating revenue as a salesperson or driving revenue as a sales manager, you'll want to tune into those. All right. Coming up this Wednesday from 11 to 12.15, it's an hour and 15 minutes. And this is also out on the homepage of BizTalk, biztalkradioshow.com. We're repeating our webinar on um, how to hire top-performing salespeople, which is hiring salespeople that can sell value, because that's what it's all about today. And that's one of the things we're talking about today in our program, one of the capabilities that a sales manager must have, which is getting their salespeople to see the value the company has and then translating that into something the salespeople can sell out on the street. So finding the candidates that can sell, it's September 15th. And uh, you can go out to the website and register for that. It's free of charge. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And you'll gain significant insight on what it takes to find winners in today's job market. We'll identify the difference between the salespeople who might sell versus the ones who will sell. The value skills, what are they needed? And do your salespeople have them? And the hidden reasons why your salespeople cannot perform. September 15th, 11 to 12.15, a quick 45 minutes. You can register that on biztalkradioshow.com. So those are some of the resources that are available to you free of charge. Just our attempt at helping you get better at driving revenues. All right. We're going to talk about the accidental sales manager, my conversation with Chris Lytle, the author of The Accidental Salesperson, and the upcoming book, The Accidental Sales Manager, what it takes for your sales managers to grow revenues in today's economy. That's, some, that's coming up next. You're listening to BizTalk on News Radio 1040. Boy, are you going to be ready for a new week? This is Biz Talk with Jim Labato on News Radio 1040 WHO. We're back. You were listening to any of the announcements during the break here. 
WHO does the Hawkeye and Cyclone update. And they say every half hour? I think it is. Every half hour? Yes, it is. And so here's the first one. Hawkeye's one, near perfection. <laughs> and the Cyclones, mm, not so much. Uh, I was at the game with 70,000 of my closest friends. If you're a Hawkeye fan, you have to be really excited. If you're a Cyclone fan, uh, not so much. But uh, they just had an off day. And for those of you Hawkeye fans, um, we've sat through enough of those games where they just have an off day. So I think the Cyclones are actually better than what they showed on Saturday. We wish them the luck coming up here next week. And we can only hope that the Hawkeyes just keep improving as they head on the road. And you can hear the broadcast of that game right here on WHO coming up this Saturday. It's a night game. They play Arizona. So anyway, I had a conversation earlier this week with my good friend Chris Lytle, who's writing the book, The Accidental Sales Manager, which, of course, means we're going to have to have Chris on this program when that gets published. And uh, I'll be making some contributions to that book, and that's what the interview was all about. So you get this is kind of the advanced preview of that. So one of the things Chris asked me was, what, what was the one thing you had to learn about sales management the hard way? And I said, man, I can answer that. <laughs> I remember those days because I first became a sales manager at 22. Age 22, I was put in charge of leading people. And uh, that lasted for a couple years. And then I went back on the street as a sales manager when I switched jobs. That lasted a couple years. And then uh, after that, I took a sales manager's job, and that lasted more than a couple years. It was about, uh, what was it been, 20 years maybe? That was in that role. So the hardest thing I had to learn as a sales manager was there's a difference between generating revenue versus driving revenue. You know, as a salesperson, you generate revenue. You generate the activities that get you in position to ask for an order. As a manager, you are driving revenues. You're like a general in the army. You're still in the battle, but you're not in the trenches anymore. When you set the mission, you know, in the army, that's what you say. What is our mission? Where are we headed? In business, it's more about the vision and the outcomes you want. You know, what are you working towards? You set the rules of engagement and you inspire your troops to engage in the activities that will accomplish that mission, or, like I said, the vision. I can still remember where I was when I first learned that. I can remember what time it was. I can remember the office I was sitting in. I remember who the salesperson was, what they said that triggered my transformation from acting like a salesperson who happened to be managing people to acting more like a sales manager. It's as vivid today as if it happened yesterday, and this is now upwards of maybe 15, 20 years ago. You know, it was 5.05, I was in my office, 5.05 p.m., by the way, my dad, and the salesperson stops by my office on her way out the door and says, now, don't forget, you said you get this done for me and threw something on my desk, and I said, okay. And she went home, and then when I looked up, it was 7 o'clock. So I remember 5.05, and then looking up, it was actually 7 o'clock. And I remember looking around the office and realizing I was the only person left in the office. And I was the only person who at 7 o'clock that night who was not with my family but at the office worried about how we were going to hit our revenue goals. It was at that moment I made the commitment to myself, I will no longer be the only person worried about hitting the revenue mark. I will share that worry with every team member. And that was a catalyst that started my transformation 
from becoming a salesperson who was managing people to becoming a sales manager. You know, the difference between generating revenue and driving revenue. Most managers can sell because most managers came up through the ranks of sales into the role of a sales manager like I did. So I could sell. And because I was very competent at that, I was very comfortable doing it. So I continued closing the deals for my salespeople. And if you learn anything quickly about being a sales manager when you get in that role, your people will struggle most with finding new opportunities and then closing them down. Those are the two areas that salespeople struggle the most, finding new opportunities and closing them down. But not you. You got into this role because you were good at that and other things. That's the one reason you get promoted into a leadership role. So I could find business and I could close business. So since I could do that, I did. But if that's all you're going to do, generate revenue, because that's all that is, then the entire organization depends on you, and you end up not developing your people to do that. So I had to figure out how to get them, which is the driving part, how to drive revenue into the organization through my sales team and not necessarily through my direct sales efforts. So the first thing I learned was you know, the key to sales management is you have to get your people to do what you know they should be doing but won't do for themselves. Let me say that again. The key to sales management is you have to get your people to do what you know they should be doing but they won't do for themselves. You know what they should be doing because you've been in that role before. You know what it takes to generate revenue. And since you know that, you tend to do that instead of slowing down and teaching your people how to do that. So how do you make that transition? You know, how do you make the transition from being the only person up at night worried about driving revenue? Now, I think it starts with a couple things. So what it starts out with is understanding the concept of progress versus perfection. You know, there's a term that describes this person who will take perfection. You know, the person who takes perfection, usually in a business, is someone on the job who takes on everything. And that term is rugged individualism, which means, by the way, look it up in the dictionary, online dictionary. There's actually a term for this called rugged individualism, which means they believe in the importance of the individual and the virtue of self-reliance and personal independence. Let me say that again. They believe in the importance of the individual and the virtue. In other words, it's a virtue of self-reliance and personal independence. Am I starting to describe you? Which means they are the lone ranger that can juggle a lot of projects, get a lot of things done, and are probably good at most of those in different areas. They tend to be control freaks. And I'm definitely a card-carrying member of that club. And when you first get into management, you carry this rugged individualism over with you. And you say to yourself, no one can do this better than I can. So I'm willing to do and take on anything and take it to perfection. No one's as good as this as I can. No one can do it as fast. No one's as competent as me. Now, that may be right, but it won't get you where you need to be. So your first challenge is to get over that by accepting the fact that if your team does it at 80% of what you could have done it, that that's good enough. You're not being paid for perfection as a manager. You're being paid for getting the job done. Progress over perfection. And good enough is good enough. 
And if your team is doing 80% of the level that you could do it, then you're probably outperforming your competition. So perfection versus progress. Take progress. Learn that good enough is good enough. Because your 80%, your team's 80%, is better than most of the competition. That was number one. Learning that and understanding that. Number two, making it tangible. Making it tangible of what you expected and then posting it. So the next day I started posting what was expected. You know, I remember I stated to the team, you know, your call reports are doing this day and we're going to post the results on the following day. And I landed, or I ran into a lot of resistance from my salespeople who said they were not happy showing their scores or sharing their scores with other people. And I said, I can understand you not being happy. Get over that feeling because the most competitive people keep score. The most competitive people keep score on activities because activities lead to results. Let me say that again. The most competitive people keep score. And the most competitive people keep score on activities because activities lead to results. We had been too results focused. That's the only thing we were measuring. You know, where did the month end up? Where did last year end up? Where did the quarter end up? We were too waiting to the end of the game to see what the final score was going to be and then complaining about it or going to our people and telling them, you're not doing this. You should be doing that. Give me more and you're not doing enough. That is why I was still in the office at 7 p.m. worried about whether or not we were going to hit the revenues. So we started tracking activities, and that's where you start. Once we had stable data on what our people were doing, we could go on to raising what our expectations, you know, what our expectations were. So once we knew what the data was, we could say, well, we don't like this data. We want better scores than that. How could we raise our expectations to get better activities, which would lead to better results? So I was able to make that transition over time by constantly asking myself, what am I struggling with that I don't need to be struggling with? That's one of the best questions you can ask yourself as a manager. What am I struggling with that I don't need to be struggling with? Which has a sister question to that, which is, what am I tolerating that I shouldn't be tolerating? Because usually you're struggling with something because you're tolerating something. What are you choosing to no longer tolerate? And you'll end some of your struggles. The second question I'd ask myself is, how can I make this tangible for my team so I can measure it? How can I create a structure by which I can manage this without being overwhelmed? Like I said, over time, I made this transition by constantly asking myself those three questions. It used to be in business I thought you needed all the answers until I figured out you just need to have the right questions at the right time. Those are three of the right questions to transform your sales manager from being a salesperson that happens to manage people to being a manager that inspires people into generating revenue. Because without the structure, which is my third question, you know, how can I create structure by which I can manage this without being overwhelmed? Without the structure of meetings and reports, what they are and how frequently should have the meetings, what those meetings should consist of, which are sales meetings. 
And sales meetings have a sole purpose of motivating your people. That's it. Then there's training meetings. There's two types of training meetings. There's product development meetings where you learn about the products. And there's skill development training meetings where you just go in and develop the skills. And then there's review meetings with the team, review meetings individually. How often you should have those, what kind of reports you should capture, I learned over time. Because without the meeting structure and report structure, what I just described sounds overwhelming. What I just described as terms as learning the activities and tracking the activities. Overwhelming because you may be currently stuck in the trap of being the top producer who is asked to attend ineffective meetings and doing things that are not in your job description that you somehow ended up doing that is preventing you from doing the things you were hired to do. That's the trap that you may be in. So if you're caught in that trap, this is going to sound overwhelming. But it's those two things, making it tangible so you can keep score and measuring that, creating a structure by which I can operate all these systems without being overwhelmed, that was the foundation by which I built things on, and you can too. So that was the start of all this, those two things. When we come back, we're going to talk about what it takes to be a sales manager because of your crazy bosses. Because it's a thankless job and we all have crazy bosses. Just today, I am that boss that is the crazy boss. But how to handle that. And also, what to look for in terms of activities to track. Because success leaves clues. It's just tapping into what those clues are. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. You're listening to Biz Talk on News Radio 1040. WHO. More real than your fourth quarter sales forecast. This is Biz Talk with Jim Lovato on WHO. We're back. You're listening to Biz Talk. We're talking tonight about your sales managers and how some of them accidentally end up being the sales manager, meaning they were probably the top producing salesperson. Because of that, you promoted them into the sales manager's role. And because of that, some of them are ill-equipped to really work with their sales team in the environment we're in today. Not that they're bad managers, it's just that the rules have changed and we're in a different environment. And most of them still have the skills they had, which is generating revenue. That's what a salesperson does versus driving revenue, which is what a sales manager does. So... This role of sales management is what we're talking about, and it's a recap of the conversation I had with Chris Lytle, who wrote the book, The Accidental Salesperson, and it's coming out with the book, The Accidental Sales Manager. And part of what we're talking about in the program tonight is actually ending up in that book. So this is like the sneak preview. When the book gets published, we'll have Chris on the program and talk about it. So one of the challenges about being a sales manager, let's talk about that for a second. Before we go on to what we should start measuring, because that's what we ended before the break. We talked about how, over time, I learned how to make it tangible. In other words, post the scores, post the critical activities, but to learn what those activities are. What should you start measuring? And we're going to talk about that in a second. Before we get to that, we're going to talk about the job of being a sales manager, because it's a thankless job. It's a thankless job because bosses usually have unrealistic expectation. I call them crazy bosses. And I can talk about that because I am that crazy boss today. I work for a lot of crazy bosses, <laughs> and I am that crazy boss today. What I mean by crazy is we tend to get focused on as the boss where we want to go, and, and we tend to put a lot of emphasis, if you want to call it pressure, to get there. And sometimes that's unrealistic. 
So as a sales manager, you often find yourself in a meeting with your boss, and he would say, why can't we do this, whatever this is? And you don't want to argue with them, but you're thinking to yourself, well, because what you're asking me to do is unrealistic. But you really can't say that. So you have your marching orders. And whenever I was in those conversations, I'd go back to my office and I'd say, well, that was kind of crazy. But we still have to you know, get there. So somehow I had to translate that back into a language my salespeople could understand and somehow make it happen. And then the salespeople believe that what you're asking for is also unrealistic. So you get caught in the middle where you receive no positive affirmations. You're doing the right thing. At least when you were out selling, somebody would buy from you, and that was the feedback you received that you were actually doing a good job, which is why a lot of managers you know, don't make the full transformation into management because it's a thankless job, and they still go out and close business, and that's their way of getting an affirmation that at least they're doing something right. So since it's a thankless job, you have, to be fed, you have to be fed more by the fact that you're willing to make a difference in the people's lives and careers than you are about the money. Let me say that again. Since it's a thankless job, you have to be fed more by the fact you're going to make a difference in the lives and careers of your people than the money because they can't pay you enough money to do the job. So your payment has to come from your desire to make a difference. In other words, those employees are better off having worked with you in their career than they would have been working for someone else, even the ones that don't make it. That kept me going for years because I would receive affirmations over time that the people who spent time with us, no matter what the length of time was, was the best experience in their career. Now, if you're new to management, you probably don't know that yet because you probably haven't had people circle back to you have to tell you that. I've worked with people over the years, and I've let a few go. I let a few go because they just could not figure out how to sell their product and service. did not make them bad salespeople. It just meant they couldn't sell for us. But whenever I released somebody, I always pointed them in the right direction, at least I thought was the right direction. I said, you know, you may not be gifted here working for us, but you're surely gifted in these several areas, and this is the area you should go out and work in. And sometimes I would run into those people on sales calls years later. And they would come up to me because they'd be working at these companies. I said, you had to go work in an industry. And then he did. And they'd come up to me and they'd stop me and say, I want you to know that you were absolutely right. At the time, I didn't see it, but now I do see it. I had a gentleman, Rich, and Rich spent only three months with us, 90 days. And then Rich left us. Rich was an Iowa State graduate. And he, he came to work for us. And uh, he only spent 90 days because he transferred to another market, and he ended up in southern Texas. Actually, he ended up in southwest Texas. And I know this because Rich found the blog BizTalk the other day, and he sent me an email. And he said, you know, the short time I spent with you, he says, I still have my notes from that time, and I still use those principles today, and it's made a difference in the career because now I'm leading a team of people. So even though it was a short time that Rich spent with us, it made a huge impact on the rest of his career. What about you? Are you making that kind of difference? Because that's where the rewards come in in sales management. If you're not fed by that, then you're not going to be up to the challenge. So anyway, getting back to, you know, what should you start measuring? If you're in that role and you want to get better at that, you know, Jim Rohn, the great business philosopher and speaker who once said, you know, success leaves clues. So I started asking myself, you know, when you were doing this job and you were successful at it, how did you generate revenue? And I noticed that I kept charts and graphs. Top performing salespeople keep score. 
I learned that. I learned that as reflection back when I was in this position. I get to interview hundreds of salespeople each year. It's one of the most rewarding things in my job. And what I've noticed about the top 6%, I mean, the really, really, really good salespeople, they don't depend on the company keeping score for them. They keep score. They have their stats. They have their data. Top producers keep score. I learned that you could not control whether prospects would say yes to my proposals. I could influence that, but I could not control the outcome. It was still up to them to make the decision on whether to say yes or no. It was their decision, not mine. What I could control was getting in position to ask for the order and then asking for it. So I started out by asking myself, what are those things? Well, first, you would have to you know, have a list of people you could call on. Do you have your list? Who are those people? What do they look like? What industries are they in? What position in the company do they hold? What titles do they have? What are some of their concerns? What are the issues they're facing today? That's all that stuff, having a list of those people. Then you'd have to have an appointment with those people. Well, how many appointments did you set this week? Then you'd have to have some conversation with these people to see if what they wanted to accomplish aligned with what you had to offer. Well, how many of those alignment conversations did you have this week? Then you'd have to propose something to the ones that were in alignment with what they wanted and, and what you could help them with and actually ask for your help. You know, how many proposals did you make this week? Then you'd have to ask for the order. So how many times did you ask for the order and how much did you ask for? So we first, you know, we first started out by measuring all of that stuff. And then we started to see patterns. And once you start seeing patterns, you can start making better decisions. So we were able to calculate the ratios between every step in that process so we could determine how many dials for appointments would lead to an actual appointment and how many appointments led to proposals and et cetera. So that led to calculating closing ratios. So we started asking ourselves, well, how can we improve our closing ratios? Well, we figured we had a couple options here. We can improve our skills of our people ask better questions, ask closing questions, actually ask them for the order, or we could get them to ask for more, more dollars, more schedules, more widgets, whatever it was, get them to ask for more. We decided we would start measuring how much they were asking for. Then we started setting a minimum amount you could ask for that required them getting better at selling value because if you were going to ask for a minimum amount in order to do business with us, you're going to have to be able to show the value of why they should spend at least the minimum. It was this approach of setting a minimum that forced the skill improvement. It gave a reason for my salespeople to learn the skill without the reason, and the reason being that if they were not going to ask for the minimum, they weren't going to make any money. And if they couldn't sell at the minimum, then then they couldn't, you know, pay the bills. You know, without that incentive, there would be no incentive for them to learn the skills. So think about that for a second. We said then the minimum here is you got to do business at this level. Let me explain why. So we trained them on the why. Now, some of those orders did come in below the minimum. We just paid less commission on those, which forced people to at least ask for the minimum and explain why it was so important. And once we started seeing them asking for the minimum, who was above the minimum, who was consistently below the minimum, we could start to see which individuals, as well as the team, what was needed in the form of skill development. Because some people can ask for the minimum and some people couldn't, which was really just about getting the skills in place. So today when we work with companies, 
most companies don't have that data. So we have an assessment that will tell them at what step in the sales process their salespeople are going to struggle and with what skills they need to complete those steps in the process. We have an assessment that's an executional assessment that can show you that and predict that because most companies don't track the data at the level you would need to come to those conclusions on what skills they should be augmenting into their people. Back then, I didn't have the benefit of this assessment, so I had to rely on data. So once you have stable data, you can start making better decisions. And that's what it's about, having the ability to make better decisions. Well, what comes after that if you're going to start measuring this data? You know, it's it's about accountability and being accountable to what it's going to take to generate the revenues at the minimum. And a lot of people get screwed up on what accountability is all about. So I'm gonna when we come back, I'll give you my definition on the difference between accountability, as most people see it, and the difference it would take in terms of growing your people. And that one difference, how it will make the entire difference with your salespeople. And then we're gonna talk about how compensation drives behavior. Those two things, as we continue our discussion on the accidental sales manager, what it takes to drive revenues in today's marketplace. When we come back, you're listening to BizTalk on News Radio 1040 WHO. Growth hormones for your business. This is BizTalk with Jim Labato on News Radio 1040 WHO. We're back. We're talking about the accidental sales manager, which could be the sales manager in your organization, who accidentally got into sales management and now may be struggling because of the marketplace shifting. You know, it's differently. It's different than it was five years ago. It's just a lot more complex to sell today, and uh, and also it's a little bit tougher for people just to see your value. So uh, it's a recap of the conversation that I had with my good friend Chris Lytle, and uh, who's coming up with the upcoming book, The Accidental Sales Manager. Before we get to that, we wrap up our program today. We're going to talk about our webinar coming up this Wednesday for company presidents, CEOs, and VPs of sales on how to hire stronger salespeople, which is finding the candidates that can sell value in today's marketplace. It's a one-hour and 15-minute webinar jam-packed with nothing but information. You can go on to the website, biztalkradioshow.com, and sign up for it. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com, right on the homepage. Click on the banner, and it'll take you right to it explain what's going to be covered in an hour and 15 minutes. So if that's of interest to you, go out to the website and sign up for that. Okay. We were talking about, before the break, you know, the activities and crazy bosses and how to calculate ratios between the certain levels of activities so you can determine what your people need training on and all that stuff. And how if you don't have that, you should probably contact us contact us to get an executional assessment done on your people so you can determine where these gaps are so you know what to train them on so they can perform better and you can get back to generating revenues at the level that you're used to. We talked about all that. But we also want to talk about the difference people have in this term accountability. You know, accountability is not about monitoring and disciplining your sales team. It's not. It's about coaching. You know, I learned that you don't have to be that great of a disciplinarian if you're keeping score because the scores become so obvious. So I was able to switch from an accountability manager to a coaching manager. 
you know, switching from accountability manager who stated, you know, give me your call reports. How come they're not in on time? How come you're not making the minor on the calls? To one where you're hitting your mark to a coaching manager that stated, you know, let's take a look at your scores and what do you see? Then I would tell them, well, you know, that's a good observation. What about this? Have you thought about this approach? What would happen if you took this approach? And have you thought about maybe getting something else in terms of making this thing go better for you? So I spend all my time coaching instead of disciplining. To this day, most managers make the mistake on the purpose of accountability. They state, I need to know who my people are calling on, who they called on, and what they said, and the outcomes of those appointments. And my answer to that is, no, you don't. You need to know how many calls they made and the clear next step they came to on those calls so you can coach them on that. The numbers will work out. You don't need to know the details to know how the numbers will work out. The Vikings played the Saints in the opening of the NFL season this week. The score is 14-9 in favor of the Saints. That was the final score. But it doesn't tell you how the game was played. But if you looked at the scoring by quarter, the average yards per carry, the passing yards, interceptions, the fumbles, number of plays that were ran, the sacks, who made the sacks, you looked at all those stats that they keep, you don't have to see the game to know and visualize how the game went. You could just look at the numbers and realize that. It's the same with your sales team. Look at the numbers. Do we know what they are? So part of the numbers is the activities that lead to the outcomes you're looking for. And we talked about how to do that. So how are you keeping score? Managers manage by lagging indicators and leaders lead by leading indicators. Last month's revenues is a lagging indicator. Unless you're Enron, you can't go back and change last month's numbers. The number of calls, the outcomes of those calls are leading indicators. Understanding those numbers puts you in control to make mid-course corrections. To change the activities your people are doing to produce better results. That's what you're looking for. So understanding that, the difference in my definition of accountability as defined by versus as defined by other people. It's not about holding people accountable. It's about looking at the numbers, posting those scores, getting them to see what those scores are, and coaching them on how to get better outcomes to make the scores better. So that's the main thing. Okay. The other one is compensation drives behavior. Most industries are struggling with the fact their compensation program is not in alignment with the reality of the marketplace, meaning they're paying their people for the outcomes. They're paying their people for the results. And sales has become much more complex today. You know, the fact that it takes more steps in the sales process and sometimes it takes more people in the sales process to close down a piece of business means you have to be able to adjust to that. You can't adjust to that if you're just paying one person for the outcome, which is the result side of that. If you're paying that person all the money you have available for compensation, you don't have enough compensation to pay the other players for their role in the sales process. We have some of our companies who've made the transition of just paying their salespeople for the outcome, broke down the activities, the steps they need to do in the process, figuring out what to pay for that entire process, and when they peel off a certain function of that process and give it to someone else, like lead generation, they're able to have the funds to do that. Because people have a clear understanding of what they're being paid for and why they're being paid for that. If all you're doing is paying your people a base salary and you don't want to tie any activities to that, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. 
I ask people, well, why are you paying a base salary? And they say, well, because they need that base salary. Well, I understand they need the base salary. Why are you paying it to them? See, without defining why you're paying it to them, they're going to start to treat it like an entitlement. And once they treat it like an entitlement, they'll stop doing the things that they should be doing in order to generate the revenue. Because they think they're being paid for the end result, not for the activities leading up to that end result. So now you have a mismatch between what you think it's for and what they think it's for. And now you have an argument on your hand. And I don't argue with people. I'd rather lead people. But you have to be clear on what those activities are before you can even change your compensation plan and think about what it takes to generate revenues. So those are some of the things that are a preview of the upcoming book from Chris Lytle, The Accidental Sales Manager. We'll talk more about this next week on our program. So you want to tune in next week as we continue our conversation what it takes to generate revenues in today's marketplace. Until then, this has been Jim Lobato for BizTalk.